Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Thank you for joining us on Easy's Community Focus, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. Miami is coming up on a very, very big date. The 28th, this coming Wednesday, is the 125th anniversary of the city. And I'm very happy to welcome the co-chair of all of the celebrations that are going on in honor of the anniversary, Larry Gautier. Thank you for joining us. Ellen, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about everything you've put together. I have been through the website, Miami125.org, and you've covered everything that anyone would want to know about Miami and every way that people would want to celebrate. Can you start by just giving us what you really want to accomplish by having this big anniversary celebration? Well, absolutely. Ellen, typically, you know, anniversaries are a one-time event. When Mayor Suarez and I talked about this, going back to late 2019, early 2020, we wanted to make it an initiative. We wanted to make it a one-year-long celebration starting in the first quarter of 2020 and ending on July 28th of 2021. We wanted to focus, so we had the name of honoring the past, embracing the future. We wanted to obviously honor those folks whose shoulders we stood on, who got us to this point. So we're going to honor five of them. We'll talk about that in a little while. We want to showcase the different neighborhoods, the different talents in Miami. But we also wanted to focus on those things that make Miami a great international city, you know, the diversity and all the different things that we have and where we're going. So we wanted to do it as a one-year celebration. Unfortunately, COVID hit last year, so we had to shorten that. But we're still able to get kind of condensed and get everything we want done in a short period of time, which kicks off on Monday. 26. Yeah, you have put together an incredible schedule of events, each that covers a different aspect of what you've just talked about, in addition to programming aside from the physical events that people can attend. And mm -hmm. everything covers our little communities, little Haiti, little Havana, little San Juan, little mm -hmm. Santa, you know, all of those things that make Miami so unique. And mm -hmm. one of the things I really love is that Mayor Suarez is doing cafecito talks. Um, he is. Yeah. What's he going to be talking to people about? Well, we've got him talking about several different things. On Monday event, the Innovation and Technology Summit, he's going to be talking about technology. As uh, everybody's seen, he is very big on bringing technology to Miami. So we're going to have a cafecito talk at the Rusty Pelican on Monday the 26th. And we'll, it'll be a cafecito talk layout. And we're going to talk about uh, technology and where Miami fits into that in the future. On Tuesday, it's going to be focused on the art world in Miami, non-fungible tokens. Now, don't ask me to get into the detail of what a non-fungible token is, but it's like the cryptocurrency <laughs> for, for the art world. And we're going to talk about how artists, local artists, can utilize that techno money, for lack of a better term, to underwrite their art projects and obviously get some uh, financial support for what they've created. 
And on Wednesday is our event at the Perez Art Museum. He won't be doing a cafecito talk there, but basically we're going to be embedding all the different cultural aspects you talked about. And on Thursday, we're going to have a community event, another cafecito talk with community leaders talking about where Miami is, where it's going, and uh, how do we get there together. So really excited about that. Yeah. Like I said, you've really covered everything. How do you explain to people the difference between the city of Miami and Miami-Dade County? I think there's a lot of confusion about that. There is. And and where this whole started, Ellen, is I am co-chairing. The the mayor asked me to to co-chair because I represent one of the founding families of Miami. Uh, We came here on the flat boat with the railroad back in 1895. Oh, my gosh. Yes, yes. And I landed at the mouth of the Miami River, opened the first general store and one of the first signers of the charter back in July of 1896. So that's how I got involved. But what has transpired over the years is I've had my whole real estate career here. And Miami is an international city. Uh, we really are. And there were a melting pot of different cultures from around the world. And one of the things that struck me over the last couple of years is a lot of residents, basically, they now call Miami home. And they don't know a lot about their roots or where Miami came from. So I thought well, education, educating our existing residents as to where Miami was and how we got to where we are may provoke a little bit more of a you know, community involvement, get involved with different sectors of the city where they may live or work or play. So that was the educational piece. And then the second part of that education was our tourists. As you all know, our tourist mm-hmm. population is, is very large. And a lot of people come to Miami and they go to the beaches and do the different sites and things of that nature. But typically, people want to know more about the city that they visit. And I realize we have different people and groups doing that, but it was never really centralized, if you will. There's no kind of one-stop shop for people to kind of go to a website to kind of see where they want to know about Little Havana or Coconut Grove or Overtown or wherever it may be. So we created MIA125.org. It's a website we created as a one-stop shop. For all things Miami, both historical, where we populated it with videos. If you want to know about people, places, and things about Miami, it's all there. Pictures, videos, stories, you name it. We've also populated it with links to entities that provide historical tours, whether it be biking tours of Miami, different areas, or walking tours, or water tours of Miami River. So it's all right there. Now, to answer your question, Miami-Dade grew out of, obviously, the city of Miami. We started there. At the corner of Flagler Street, Miami Avenue, that is our Times Square, as I like to call it. So it started there, and it kind of grew. And then back in the uh, 40s and the 50s, Miami-Dade was incorporated as a county. So Miami was the seat, and then Miami-Dade grew out of that. And now we have Miami-Dade County, as we speak right now, with the city of Miami being the largest population or suburb within within the Miami-Dade County area. So it all goes together. And I think for people who live, say, in North Miami or South Miami or Hialeah, Pretty much. You can say you live in Miami and people get the picture. They understand what you mean. Although each little individual city has its own unique makeup and its unique culture. Um, That's right. I wanted to ask, as far as each of the events that you have every day covering everything, how do people find out when, where, and purchase tickets if they'd like to attend? We created that website. I mentioned www.mia125.org. That's mia125.org. Anything that somebody wants to know about an event, purchasing tickets, they want to know more about Miami, our history, about technology. We've kind of embedded everything in that website. It's a one-stop shop if you will, and uh, hopefully any and all information that somebody would like to see or know or hear more about, it's all right there. 
One of the things on the website that I was fascinated by was the timeline where you Mm -hmm. start all the way back in the 1500s when Ponce de Leon arrived. (laughs) That's right. When you talk about history, we really went back with history with the Spanish. And then obviously there was a migration down with the Indians and the Seminole Indians and all the different uh, tribes that came years and years ago. People don't realize that the Everglades came all the way up to what's now 17th Avenue, which is where the Marlins Park is. The Everglades came that far in. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I knew it came in much farther than it does now, but I didn't realize it was that far. Oh, yeah. Um, We've progressed a long way and grown over the years out west. Yeah. You know the rest of the story. Yeah. Um, Well, I was also just so interested by the people, you know, a woman founded Mm -hmm. the city of Miami. And back in the 1800s, that was pretty unusual, I would think. Very unusual. Mary Brickle and Julia Tuttle were very instrumental. Everybody talks about Henry Flagg, or all he did was basically accept an invitation mm. you know, from Mary Brickle. Uh, the story was is there was a freeze up in the uh, middle part of the state. All the citrus crop was wiped out in 1895. Mary Brickle basically sent an orange blossom up to Henry Flagger, whose railroad had stopped at West Palm Beach at the time, uh, showing that obviously from a business perspective, Miami was still open for business and the freeze did not affect us. So that prompted him to extend the railroad from uh, West Palm Beach down to Miami in uh, 1895 and incorporated a year later. And here we are. Thanks to a woman. It's it, all Mary Brickle. It is fascinating that the when I hear you describe it, it sounds exactly like what's happening today. You know, we have situations where things shut us down, like COVID or a hurricane, and then we do a campaign that says open for business. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. And it's so yep. familiar. And then, you know, when you start mentioning Julia Tuttle, Mary Brickle, Henry Flagler. You could kind of do a history of Miami by driving on the streets that are named after those people. You sure could. You sure could. And they, they've been honored in their own uh, special way. We're going to be honoring five historians on Wednesday at the um, birthday celebration at the Perez Art Museum. So one of the things, Ellen, we wanted to do and wanted to bake into this celebration, if you will, is we are here because of those that have come before us right. and, and have worked so hard to, in their own special way, to promote and advocate the history, you know, because you, you can't know where you're going if you don't know where you've been. Right. And they work so hard in their own uh, neighborhood. You mentioned earlier the different neighborhoods that make Miami great, the diversity that we have. And we thought it was important to honor them in their own way, which we will do so on Wednesday the 28th. But also, uh, we're going to make sure that the torch is passed to those uh, young people uh, and groups that have shown interest in the city of Miami and the preservation of history in their own special way. So passing the torch, if you will. So we're going to try to work that into the celebration as well. So we're excited about that part. Yeah, and preserving the history is so important because that's how we learn. That's how we improve. We look at what came before and we can make decisions about what we want to do moving forward to make things even better than they were. And one of the things I've learned over the years, you know, growing up here, especially the last couple of years being involved with the celebration, is 125 years old. It's not an old city as it relates to like New York City or Chicago or Los Angeles. And sometimes we get caught up and we're not 500 years old or 200 years old or whatever it may be. And sometimes we lose focus on the history because we're not an older city like in New York or Boston or whatever. But one of the things we wanted to do was, to your point, is make sure that we put a spotlight on the history of Miami, its structures and its institutions and its people. And by doing so through an educational perspective, uh, hopefully we'll 
get the general population more involved with or enlightened as to the history of Miami, and possibly get more involved with the preservation of, of, yes. of what we have. Yes. I have to be honest. I was really excited about the Coconut Grove Heritage Day. I also grew up in Miami, went to UM, and when they're talking about dressing in costume from your favorite Grove era, I was going to ask you, have you been here long? And you clarified that by saying your family pretty much were part of the founding. All I can think about is going to the Coconut Grove Theater and then going to the Rocky Horror Show at midnight on a Friday night. (laughs) And how many people are going to show up dressed like Rocky Horror? I mean, Mm -hmm. that was at least a couple of decades of a standard event that people went to. And I'm sure that we will learn many more of the events that happened in Coconut Grove before Rocky Horror took over. Absolutely. And part of this initiative is we're all reading about the structures, the historical structures, the Coconut Grove Playhouse that you just mentioned, the Gusman Theater on uh, on yes. Flagler Street downtown, uh, Dade County Courthouse was in the news, those kind of things. We want to shine the light on those projects and do what we can kind of through the celebration to kind of connect the public and the private sector, educate them more, and hopefully we can get some momentum to kind of preserve those buildings, not to say they're, they're going to go away, but just try to expedite what we're going to do with those structures so they can be revitalized, if you will, and so that the community can enjoy them like you did and I did when we were going up. Right. Now, one of the other things that's happening is you're assembling a virtual time capsule that's going to be open. I I so wanted it to be open in 2022, but I guess one year isn't really enough for a time (laughs) capsule. (laughs) So it's going to be open in 100 years from now. What kind of things do you expect will go in there? And will the public have any say? in what's included in the time capsule. They will. And uh, I'm not a techie, so I can't explain the, all the digital locks and things, but I can say is is what we're going to do, Ellen, is we have uh, obtained videos from Miamians, ah. uh, some, from the older older generations uh, who have done a video of basically what Miami is today, kind of a, giving messages, if you will, to the residents of Miami in the future. So it's going to be kind of cool. It's like we're going to lock these things into this, this system, you know, where you cannot, it's a digital time lock. Nobody can unlock it until... It automatically unlocks that in the future, but it'll be videos of us to our future residents kind of as a message of hope or a message of wisdom or conveying a thought. And yes, residents can go online and do that and their messages will be open in the future. So whatever they want to communicate to their great, great grandchildren, whoever it may be, then they could certainly do that with their friends. And uh, it's a really exciting thing. It really is. And I can imagine the range of viewpoints that we're going to get. Is there going to be a vetting of videos? Because we know once you get to technology and you get to anything that's on the internet, some people will always go over a line. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure that you don't want that as part of the time capsule celebrating the city of Miami. Correct. There will be a vetting. And what we've done is we tried to make it multi-generational. We went into talk to senior citizens from those different suburbs that we talked about, from different areas of Miami. And we want to get that the older perspective because they've been around for a long time, 70, 80 years or so. So we want to get that perspective and then the, the middle generation and the younger generation. So to answer your question, yes, we're going to get a representation of different age groups, uh, different nationalities, different demographics. And then, yes, there'll be a group that will go through it. And uh, similar to what they do with the media, you do the clips and review it and then uh, you edit things out if necessary. But yes, that's how we're going to do it. Are multi-languages permitted? Yes, absolutely. 
Okay. Absolutely. Because Miami, we know, is one of the greatest international cities in the world. And it's going to continue to grow that way. It just is just because of where we are and uh, just the good people that are here. So we see that continuing. So, yes, it'll be multicultural, multilingual. We're going to try to capture it all. Okay. Once again, the website is mia one twenty five. .org. We have the link on our website also at easy93.com. So you can go there and you'll see an event listing and each individual event listed as well. But really, it's worth it to take the time to go through the website yourself, mia125.org, and see everything that's going on. Because as Larry has said, they're really covering it all from each community to the history to the future, the leaders, the future leaders, the artists, the buildings, everything. It's going to be a perfect tourism location for people to use as a way to plan vacations too. So kudos to whoever has put together that website. It's beautiful. And kudos to you for co-chairing this event. I just can imagine how much work has gone into it, especially with the challenge of still working on it throughout the COVID era. Well, it was worth it because this is a uh, this is a legacy project for Miami and all the Miamians that have come before us and are here today. And, and as I said before, honoring the past, embracing the future. Uh, we think it's so important to uh, leave some sort of legacy for our future generations. And I really believe that Miami being 125 years old and being a true international city with multicultural uh, representation, I really think if we can do what we can do to bring us together as, as a community and make it stronger. I think that could be a wonderful platform for us to continue to grow and hopefully be a, a role model for other cities that want to follow our lead. So uh, I'm so proud of this city and just so glad to be a part of it. Well, congratulations. I'm so curious, not only how people will perceive everything that's in the time capsule when they open it, but what Miami will be like 100 years from now. Well, hmm. we're cool now, Ellen. See, you and I were cool back then. Right. We're still cool today, and I'm assuming everybody's going to be cooler in the future. So, so the, the, you know, we. <laughs> so, so I, I, mind you, will continue to be a cool and a hip city. So I uh, love it. I love it. <laughs> um, is there anything the public can do to support? Miami 125, or do you want to move on to 150 at this point? (laughs) (laughs) The community has been wonderful. If they have, we have a messaging uh, link on the website if they have any thoughts or ideas or or events that they want us to publicize as part of the 125th or just something that they're doing, a, a special or a project or an event, whatever, we're more than happy to put that on our website and uh, publicize it. Okay. Okay. It has been such a joy talking to you, Larry Gautier, co-chair of the City of Miami's 125th anniversary celebration. Wednesday is the actual 125th year since Miami was incorporated, and this whole week will be filled with events. So check out, again, the website, mia one twenty five. Dot org. Larry Gautier, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Ellen. My pleasure. For our next segment of Easy's Community Focus, I am so happy to welcome Alan Prindle, the CEO of Power Financial Credit Union, better known as PowerFi. And Alan, you are celebrating your 70th, not your personal 70th anniversary, the 70th anniversary of PowerFi in a very special way. Can you tell us about what you're doing? 
Yeah, it's very exciting. It's our 70th anniversary, and thank you for uh, having me on the show. And it's exciting for us that maybe a little unique that we wanted to do seven charity donations. We have a theme of 70 and 7. So seven donations of $7,070 to other nonprofit organizations throughout the South Florida area as a celebration of our 70th anniversary. We've been well-received by the community over these many, many years. Hopefully, we've served them as well, and we thought this was another effort that we could do to continue to promote nonprofits in the South Florida area. That is wonderful. It's something that we really need, and certainly there are times throughout our lives where we need it even more. For example, during the COVID pandemic. So can you tell me which charities you chose and why those are the ones that you decided were worthy? Sure. We tried to pick a wide span of charity organizations. We went out to our staff and our branch managers to kind of select ones that may be in their footprint that they know do good work. We did some research with Charity Navigator to make sure that they're very efficient and a lot of the money that would be donated ultimately gets to the people that need it. So we selected seven different charities that I think are a wide spectrum. So we have the Advocacy Network on Disabilities that champions the rights of individuals with intellectual, developmental, and other disabilities. We did the Jason Taylor Foundation that facilitates programs for personal growth and empowerment of South Florida's children. We also did Take Stock in Children, which I think is a well-known nonprofit that's been doing great work here. We did the Save Foundation which is their mission is to promote, protect, and defend equality for people in South Florida of the LBGTQ groups. So we wanted to cover that. Shifting Gears United, which is the mission and purpose is to provide adaptive sports to wounded veterans, first responders, and physically challenged community. Mm. And then we did the Achievement Centers for Children and Families that are involved in early learning, toddler and preschool, after-school, teen, and summer camp programs. And we also did LifeNet for Families, which we send staff there on a regular basis to help stock shelves and and box things. And we also wanted to make a monetary donation to them because we think they do good work. Because as you said, with COVID, there's been a lot of challenges and particularly food insecurity has been a big focus. So we already involved with them, but we wanted to kind of give them some more monetary donation also. So we tried to really spread it out and cover many of the organizations that I think do great work. And those were the ones that were chosen. What was it like going through the numerous charities that we have in South Florida? And this is such a wide array of charities that you've chosen. So what was the process like that you went through looking at these hundreds and hundreds of charities and then narrowing it down to the ones that you'd prefer? Well, like I said, we really wanted to leverage and promote and uh, exponentially improve many of the organizations that some of our employees are already involved with. So when we asked for organizations, we went across the organization, our 150 employees, and said, listen, we're going to be doing these donations. Are there organizations that you're involved with that you know do good work? And that helped get the list to choose from. And that was probably, you know, 15 or so from there. And then we did the due diligence using Charity Navigator, doing research on websites, seeing what they do. And as I said, being sure that the money that we give, a lot of it isn't going to administrative, but really getting to the people that need it. I've been on the board of Big Brothers Big Sisters of Miami for many years on the executive committee. And even when I selected a board that I wanted to be on, that's what I did. I did the research and the due diligence and found out that much of the money that goes to them, there's very efficient and a small amount of administrative costs gets used to do it. So that's how we narrowed them down. And, and it was a due diligence process. 
if we're going to be donating this money, we want to make sure that it really gets to the people that need it. There are many organizations that may do good work, but their administrative overhead really limits the amount that, you know, where does the rubber meet the road? Where does the money really hit the street? And that's what we try to narrow down to these organizations, that if we give it to them, that it's really getting to the people that need it the most. What I find fascinating and wonderful is how your employees are also so involved with charities and doing community work. Is that something that you encourage at Power Financial? Oh, absolutely. It's actually in their performance assessment every year when we do their evaluations. A component of that is what have you done to give back to the community? Being involved in an event, it can be even, you know, as much as doing a heart walk or things like that that doesn't take a lot of effort, but we expect them to give back to the community because, you know, as a nonprofit cooperative, we benefit from the community acknowledging us and and deciding to choose us to do their financial services, we need to get back to those same communities that have chosen us. So it's actually in their performance assessment each year. What did they do to contribute back to the community? How many events did they do? And things like that. So many of them select ones that they work with, and that's how it was easy to get a list of ones that they would like us to donate to, because many of them have already done that as part of their annual assessment and made selections of organizations. It can be as much as doing a beach cleanup or things like that. Whatever their interest is, there is an organization or an outlet for them to contribute back to the community, and it just takes a little bit of time and perseverance to find one and donate their time. So we really expect that. We think it's a big part of our culture and of our organization. We call the Power Financial Credit Union family and treating everybody like family, and we think giving back to the community is an important part of that. As the CEO, are you involved in the hiring process? Uh, yes, for higher level positions, but uh, we set the criteria and things like that. I, I just met with a couple of my team members for a new hire. They evaluate it. And uh, so, yes, I'm involved in the hiring process. Every person that gets hired here, I give them a welcome card handwritten. Um, they come in and get to introduce to all the team here and a little tour of the facility and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I try to get involved as much as I can, particularly at the executive team level. Obviously, that's very involved. But right. even in the branch staff and things like that, as I said, I give them a handwritten welcome aboard notice and interact with them very much as much as I can. It's wonderful. Do you see a difference in the hires after they've gone and done community work and then they finish the year? Does it change them? Yeah, I think it does. And I think that much of that, they get satisfaction out of it. We do a mentoring program with Big Brothers, Big Sisters, Bigs at Work kind of thing, where some of our employees have littles that they're mentoring. And at the end of that, when we did the evaluation and assessment of that, what do you guys think? The the universal statement was, I got more out of this than I think you know, the, the little got a lot out of this for me mentoring them, but I even got more out of this for the reward, for the satisfaction, being involved in contributing back to the community and giving back my time, that it's so easy and I have a lot of important things that I can help mentor people with, but I didn't really realize that. I know when our staff goes over and does a life net for families, I know they feel good about it when they come back. They all talk about it on Monday morning after the weekend when they do it. We did this, we did that. So I think it's part of really making a statement back to help the community, but I think it also helps the people themselves to feel enriched and rewarded for contributing back. I agree 100%. I've found that with everyone I know, that when they give back, they come back feeling fuller. And a lot of times they learn something they didn't know, or they meet people who may have been considered persona non grata, and then they find out, well, every person is a human being and has something to offer, even when they're at the lowest point in their life. 
And that then makes them more sympathetic to everyone else that they deal with. And when you're looking at their work at Power Financial Credit Union, that can only help when someone comes in for whether it's to just open an account or they want a loan. It gives them a better perspective, I believe. Absolutely. And particularly, as we've talked about with this acute issue with COVID having been recent and many of them working at LifeNet for Families, I think there was an eye opener for many of the staff that while these are not the typical people that we would see having food insecurity. It really got serious during COVID and the challenges that people had with food insecurity. So I think it really develops a level of empathy that they may not have had. And as you said, I think that translates to them dealing with people on a daily basis with business that they now have an enhanced amount of empathy for people. I totally agree. And that, again, spreads to the entire company. And I look at your website and that tells me why you have the words family. You call the group your family and say, welcome to the family. And it's powerfi.org, powerfi.org. And I'm going to guess that comes from you as well, that concept that we are family. Yeah, I mean, uh, ultimately, a lot of an organization, they say a CEO reflects much of their personal core values and mission and, and things that are important to them. And I think that translates down. I've, I've had, had the wonderful opportunity and blessed and honored to be the CEO of this organization for 21 of the 70 years. So I hope that I'm manifesting much of the things that I want that gets translated into the organization and, and then translates further on to the community. I believe it is. You know, you put something out there and the universe listens. So when you're making donations of $7,070 each to the seven South Florida charities, that can make a big, big difference for them. And again, especially with COVID, we know charities, many suffered, a lot of had to close down. And these are the ones who are helping the people who were suffering. So it, it goes in a big circle coming right back to you, making donations, taking an organization that deals with money, but sharing that with the community. And uh, I just want to go over those charities again. Now that you've done the diligence and the research, we can tell people that these are outstanding charities. So if you don't mind just yep. going through the seven one more time. Sure. It's the Advocacy Network on Disabilities, the Jason Taylor Foundation, Take Stock in Children, Save Foundation, Shifting Gears United, Achievement Centers for Children and Families, and LifeNet for Families. Those are the seven we selected. Okay. Anyone who wants to know these, you can listen to this as a podcast starting tomorrow on our website at easy93.com. You can always go to powerfi.org to learn more about the company. And be sure to listen tomorrow morning for the last month. You have been kind enough to uh, sponsor this opportunity for people to win $2,000 toward their mortgage or rent. And we'll be announcing the winner tomorrow morning with Giselle and Jeff. And I just can't thank you enough for your kindness and celebrating your anniversary by giving back and not just saying, hey, we're going to give you a discount today <laughs> in honor of our anniversary. It's a tangible change and positive commitment to the community. And again, I am sure that spreads to all 115 of your employees, and then it spreads to their families and then to their friends. And next thing, you're spreading goodwill toward everyone. Is there anything else you would like the audience to know about Power Financial Credit Union? 
It's a, a nonprofit financial cooperative. So really, credit unions, I can say, were the original disruptors. They came out as an alternative to for-profit banks many, many years ago. In our case, 70 years ago, from very humble beginnings with a, a few people at Florida Power and Light pooling some money together to start an organization, we've grown into a financial services organization now that's close to a billion dollars in assets. And we serve the entire South Florida area. If you work, live, worship, attend school in Palm Beach, Broward, Dade County, we are here to serve you. You can come join and become a member of our credit union. Okay. What's the phone number if anyone has questions? 954-538-4400. And the website again, powerfi.org. Alan Prindle, 21 years CEO of Power Financial Credit Union. Thank you for giving so much to our community. Thank you so much, Ellen, for the time. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. And thank you for joining us this morning for Easy's Community Focus, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. If you have questions or would like to suggest a topic, you can email me at ellen at easy93.com. Join us again next Sunday at 6.50 for a new segment of Easy's Community Focus. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.